Good evening. Today's scripture is Psalm 51, entire verses. Psalm 51, entire verses. Listen to God's word. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Father, please open our ears, hearts, and minds so that we fully focus on listening to your word, so that the words you speak edify our hearts and minds. Bring your word in deep. Let it dwell in us richly, so we can be more freed from the effect of sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This passage is one of the most famous parts of the Bible. Psalm 51 is one of four Davidic Psalms in the second book of Psalms. It was written after Nathan the prophet went to David, after he had gone into Bathsheba and planned to death of her husband, Uriah. I want to consider 
Psalm 51, in the light of Christ, sin, confession, forgiveness, renewal, preaching the gospel, spreading the gospel, praising God and the church. I'll read it again. Sin, confession, forgiveness, renewal, preaching the gospel, praising God and the church. In this famous passage, we will see all of these in light of the beauty of the gospel through this famous passage. For us, it is pretty obvious that David had committed a great sin against God. Yet David never real, realized his sin until Nathan, come, Nathan came to him and told David what God said. In 2 Samuel 12, when Nathan confronts David, you may have noticed that the analogy of the rich and the poor doesn't point out David's adultery or murder. As I've read over this passage, I found it was quite interesting that Nathan's story only criticizes David's covetousness. In 2 Samuel 12, we see that David actually committed three kinds of sins when it comes to the Ten Commandments. First, adultery, which is a violation of the second commandment. Second, murder, which is a violation of the sixth commandment. Third, covetousness, which is a violation of the tenth commandment. In terms of his violation of the seventh commandment, even though David was a king, the king of Israel, he was not supposed to commit adultery. Technically, he shouldn't have taken so many wives in the first place. Deuteronomy explicitly tells us what God commanded. Deuteronomy 17, 17 says, And he shall not acquire, acquire many wives for himself, lest his herd turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver, silver and gold. And so, as we see in the story of Abraham in Genesis 12, 12, no, 20, I'm sorry. Even the secular king, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, knew that he shall not take another man's wife. In terms of his violation of the sixth commandment, David actually arranged to have Uriah killed in battle. This wasn't a war casualty. It wasn't a death due to negligence. It was intentional. And earthly, early in the scriptures, beginning with Cain, as he was punished after he killed his brother, younger brother, and as God promised to Noah after the flood, murder was strictly prohibited by God. Those are very obvious sins that David committed. But again, interestingly, the analogy Nathan used for David's case seems to focus on the sin of David's violation of the 10th 
Tenth commandment, covetousness. Why? To answer that question, we have to look into the fact that David and Adam's sins are quite identical. In a sense that they both wanted something they were not supposed to have. David took what he wasn't supposed to have. Adam and Eve took what they were not supposed to have. It's all because of covetousness. David desired Uriah's wife as Adam and Eve desired God's authority and power. Of course, God sees all of these sins David committed equally serious. Yet, there should be a reason why God pointed out David's covetousness through Nathan. Colossians 3.5 says this, Put to death before, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, lustful passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry. When it comes to the meaning of the Ten Commandments, all of the second table of Decalogue interrelate with the first table. We can see this elsewhere in the New Testament in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we fail to love our Lord God, you fail to love our neighbors. If we fail to love our Lord, you fail to love our neighbors. Considering the Ten Commandments and Great Commandment, David obviously failed to love his neighbor when he committed murder and adultery, which means he violated not only the second table of the Ten Commandments, but also the first table. So David violated God's entire law. And this is all because of his sexual immorality, his impurity, his lustful passion, his evil desire, and his covetousness. So I would simply put it this way. What David had done can be summarized in Colossians 3.5. His sexual immorality, his impurity, his evil, evil desire, which connect to murder and covetousness, confirm his idolatry. His other sins, adultery and murder, are serious, but one thing God wanted to point out is his idolatry. Why does God use the analogy in 2 Samuel 12, in which it seems that idolatry is more important than the other sins? Because idolatry is the root of all sins. In 1 Timothy 610, Paul said, 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Money itself is not the root of all kinds of evils. This craving, those who desire money, is the root of all kinds of evil. Any kind of desire or love, namely covetousness toward anything except God, is idolatry. We all know the seriousness, seriousness of the root of all sins. Idolatry blinds us so that we can't see God's grace and His kindness. So we fail to give God the glory and worship that only He deserves. It prevents us from giving honor and thanks to God as well. Paul said in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore, God confronted David through Nathan's analogy that David had despised the word of God and that he touched the root of all sins. Just as Cain was jealous of his brother, just as Adam and Eve wanted to become like God, we know that the consequence of sin is death. David himself accused the rich in Nathan's story, as you know well, as being one whom he needed to put to death. And today's passage tells us that David knew his idolatry was very fatal. He deserves the death penalty. That's why he opens Psalm 51 with a cry, Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me, God. Now we all know that David is supposed to be put to death. That's not astonishing at all. The amazing part of the gospel is not the bad news, as you know that, but the good news. As I read this passage carefully, what amazes me is not David's approach to God, but rather just as God approached and questioned Adam after he ate a forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden, just as God approached and questioned Cain after he killed his brother, so too God approached David first. He came to David through Nathan and said, what have you done? What have you done, David? That voice led him to the place where he cries for forgiveness. This is our great comfort. As God came to Adam first, to Cain first, to Abraham first, and to David first, God came to us. God comes to us, great sinners, first. He comes first. 
1 John 4.10 says this, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. He comes first. His approach to us, namely His work in us, makes us approach Him and cry for forgiveness. As we know well, whenever we do something wrong, our sinful nature wants to either pretend nothing happened or ignore what we have done. Most of us, sadly, don't even notice that we actually have done something wrong. When I was really small, small but big, my mom had, my mom still has five siblings. So my second aunt always, was always teasing me. Since I was small and big, hey, if you're eating like that, you're going to become really fat. And, you know, all, all girls are not going to like you. So stop eating. Whoa. It's quite opposite to what I said in the morning, right? It's quite direct. I got hurt emotionally. I would say now, spiritually, it's still in my head. What her said, what she said, like to me, you're gonna be a pig. You're gonna be a pig. Yeah, at that time I said I thought like, oh, I'm not I'm not going I'm never gonna say this to my children. But when I become a parent, and my second son is quiet, look after me. He he looks after me. And he's quite big and small. And one day, while he was eating something, that I accidentally, I would say accidentally, hey, stop eating like an elephant. Uh-oh, right? I thought I'm not going to say that to my children. But I said that. I didn't even realize that, oh, I did something wrong. Or I just ignored what I just said. And later, I realized that, oh, I was not supposed to say to my kid, eating like an elephant? So you're an elephant? Oh, my. So I told my second son that, I'm sorry, son. I told you something that I was not supposed to say. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm not going to call you an elephant or a pig at all. No, never. But please, it lasts. Yeah, they worked, and still, he's eating a lot, and he's quite big, as I was, but, yeah, we're fine. We're good now. I hope that he's not going to say to his son or daughter later when he becomes a parent, yeah. So we don't even notice that we actually have done something wrong. Only the work of the Holy Spirit in us causes us to examine our souls. The Baptist Catechism in question and answer 35 describes the work of the Holy Spirit in these words. 
Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, renewing our wills. He does, he does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in the gospel. The Catechism uses a term, effectual calling, to describe the work of God's Spirit. And regarding the repentance expressed in Psalm 51, it was God's Spirit that convinced David of his sin and sins through Nathan in the first place. And as a result of that work of the Holy Spirit, he approached God and cried for forgiveness. I believe that God approached me first. The Holy Spirit worked in me so that I, I noticed that, oh, I said something that I'm not supposed to say to my second son. That's his work. The following verses show us that he confessed his sin and appealed for cleansing. Verses 3 through 9. Interestingly, David knew that he had to be clean. This is the work of Holy Spirit, too. God's Spirit enlightened David. Verse 7 says this, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Purge me with hyssop. Reminds us of the blood of the Passover lamb in Exodus 12. You, you recall the night of the Passover. The Israelites were instructed to put the blood of the lamb over their door. You know, dip a bunch of hyssop in the blood of the lamb they killed. And they covered the door frame with the blood of the lamb. And they did that with a bunch of hyssop. Yeah, he, they did that in purification and cleansing. Being washed or covered by the blood of the Lamb. Prefigured being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Truly, the Passover Lamb is the picture of Christ on the cross. We all know that the blood of the Lamb is what washes us sinners. And we shall be whiter than snow. He continues to say, Psalm 51, 8 through 9, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Unless God blots out all my iniquities, unless God hides his face from all our sins, we cannot experience joy and gladness. And here, we find joy and gladness in the blood of Jesus Christ. In Christ's death, God hides his face from our sins. In Christ's death, God blots out all our iniquities. In Christ's death, we find our true comfort. 
Now we come to verse 10. So far, we have seen a cry for forgiveness, confession of sin, and appealful cleansing. What's next? Renewing. God's amazing grace doesn't end at being washed of our, our sin and misery. What's really wonderful is that at the moment our sins are washed away, God causes us to look up from mere earthly things and set our minds upon heavenly things. Forgiveness, confession of sin, and cleansing are all related to our earthly lives. But that is not the end of our end of our lives, is it? Verse 10 has us seeking out the heavenly life. Psalm 51.10 Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Here, David used the words of the creation account in Genesis, God create spirit. David wants God to create in him a clean heart. Just as God created the world out of nothing, he also wants God to renew a steadfast spirit within him. He basically wants what, what David is asking for is a new creation, a new creation. Recall the third part of the Holy Spirit's work in the Baptist Confession 35, renewing our wills. Those who are convinced of, our, of their sin and misery are aware of their need to be washed. And then they are renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit with hope of becoming a new creation, a new creation. Who then can become a new creation? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. By the power of the Holy Spirit, looking up, David is asking God, Make me a new creation. Even though he couldn't see, meet, or know the Savior, God's Spirit worked in him and made him follow the path that all Christians walk on. In fact, ever since God gave, God gave Adam and Eve the covenant in Genesis 3.15, we are meant to look up, look up to our only hope so that in Christ, we can look down and look around with proper heavenly perspective. There's a famous movie on Netflix, probably you guys have watched it, called Don't Look Up. Long story short, the meteor strike is about to happen, but the, the authorities say, don't look up. And people are saying, Oh, I can't see the meteors. It's coming. 
But the authority is, hey, don't look up. Just don't look up. We're fine. Ignore that. This movie hilariously tells us that this world expects us to only look down on earthly things. The popular cultures of this world are always telling us that we have to focus on what we can see and have on earth. Don't look up. Ignore the truth that you will surely die. Ignore the truth that no one can ultimately be death. Ignore the truth that God sent us the Savior, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to wash our sins away, and deliver us from evil and death. Ignore the truth. The world, this world is saying that we are called to do good deeds and be like Him because we are sons and daughters of God who is holy, gracious, merciful, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, justice, holiness, goodness, and truth. Nothing is there. This world is saying to us, there's nothing. Don't look up. No. Rather, we never ignore those truths. We should always be looking up. If we don't look up, all we can do is look down on everybody and everything. Since we look up to God, we serve one another. How can we do this? With our power? No. Please remember that only in Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit alone, we can do this, serving one another. It is the work of the Spirit whereby convincing of us our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, renewing our wills. At the beginning of our Christian lives, He persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered to us in the gospel. And throughout our Christian lives, He continues to enlighten our minds, renewing our wills, and persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ over and over until we actually see God's glory in heaven. That's how we grow up in the work of the Holy Spirit. The steps David showed us in today's scripture confirm that the Holy Spirit was working in him. And we're sure that he's working in all believers today, working in us. Let me put it this way. As all of us, all of us know, well, David had a strong belief in God. But in today's scripture, he spoke just any pagan who had not yet believed in God. Indeed, he never forgot what God has done for him. 
He never forgot his praise to the Lord. He never forgot his worship to the Lord. Without a regenerated heart, he couldn't have done that. He's asking, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Like someone who's never tasted God's grace and love. He's crying. As a believer, yet a sinner, David knew that only God can make him clean and renew his spirit. And that is the only way he won't fail to care for his neighbors like he did Uriah and Bathsheba. Just as David knew, so we too know that God is the only one who can do such a work as this. Furthermore, we know that God's new creation in us and the renewing of our spirit is the only way we would love our God, our Lord, and our neighbors. The only difference between David and us is that he looked up and saw the coming Messiah. And we look up and see Christ who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, who sits God's right hand from where he rules and sent his spirit dwell within us, to work within us. And this is not the end. What David cries out in verses 11-12 should be our voice. He said, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. This must be our daily confession toward our Heavenly Father. Moreover, this confession doesn't end up here. In verse 13, David tells this, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. While we're walking on the path that Jesus Christ walked on earth, we're greatly joyful to spread out the gospel, he proclaimed. Since the gospel is proclaimed, we sing a song like David, verse 15. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth. will declare your praise. Proclaiming the gospel and praising the Lord is not mundane at all. We do every Lord's Day, but it's not mundane at all. It's not frivolous. It's not light at all. Without the blood of the Lamb, His death, resurrection, ascension, and the work of the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness, there is no renewal, there is no proclaiming the gospel, and phrasing. And verse 16, 17 show us that we do tell others the gospel and praise the Lord with a broken spirit. A broken spirit. It seems that we are returning to the starting point when we first met Jesus Christ, when we first hear the gospel. Our heart is broken. Our heart becomes broken. 
seems that we're going back to the starting point. We sin again, confess again, then God forgives and renews us again and again. Yeah. That's the work of Holy Spirit. This is how we grow up in Christ. But it doesn't mean that we lose our salvation. That doesn't mean that we gain salvation again. Back and forth in this process. No. We're justified in Christ alone at once. But we cannot be sanctified at once. It's impossible. That's why with a broken spirit, we keep confessing our sins, asking His forgiveness, being enlightened and renewed, and fighting our sins. We know, we all know, why we have to share the gospel and worship and praise the Lord. We know why we have to love our neighbor. We know why we have to do good works. That's why we're called his sons and daughters and disciples. His disciples. This is why Jesus told us in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We always fail to obey his commandments. We always fail to obey His commands. But God persuades us every single second. He's the, he's the one who enables us to embrace Jesus Christ every single second. That is the reason why we, who always look down instead of looking up, can take heart in this world. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. At last, verses 18 through 19 show us that where it happens is mainly in the church. This entire process, the body of Jesus Christ, these verses use the words Zion, building up the walls of Jerusalem, and altar. As brothers and sisters in Christ, our Christian lives are sustained in His body, the church which Jesus Christ bought with His blood, and of which the Holy Spirit always takes care of. The church is the central place, a base camp for Christian to be convinced, to be enlightened, to be renewed, and to take heart. That's why we are here now. That's why we are here. Then what does today's scripture tell us? Whenever you find yourself looking down, because of your sin and failure, because of difficult circumstances or dark providences, look up. Look up again to God in Christ so that 
you remember who you are in Christ and why God saved you. When I lived in San Diego during seminary, I was a pastor assistant who had a responsibility to preach the gospel at the homeless shelter in downtown San Diego. It's quite, it was quite a mess. Once a month, I should go there and preach the gospel on top of my other duties. One day, I asked myself a question. What's different between me and them? What's different? Without the month-to-month paycheck, I didn't have a place to lay all my family's heads. I only had a half-broken-down car that could stop working anywhere, here and there. I could barely buy groceries for my family. I told them, I'm no different from you. Even though I'm in kind of a good-looking suit, I have nothing like you. I have nothing. But I am confidently preaching the gospel to you because I'm in Christ. Because I'm in Christ. That's who I am. We serve you food, not because we have enough time and money, but because we are Christians. And we love others because God first loved us. In the words of one pastor, he said this, Bottomless stores of mercy and unbending demands for righteousness almost never go together in any human being. Our temperament inclines us one way or the other, but these are perfectly combined in God. Indeed, in Christ, as his sons and daughters, we look up to God who has boundless stores of grace and satisfies unbending demands for righteousness so that we do respect and love people around us. He never ceases his work within us. So brothers and sisters, As today's scripture shows us the life of Christian bound to God's mysterious work, we are Christians who have a right to look up. We who should look up. Be encouraged. Enjoy the work of God's free grace. We will experience difficult circumstances. We might hear some bad news about our family or friends that we never expected. But God, who has the overwhelming power to create heaven and earth out of nothing, has been working in us and will continue to working in us. He will surely never let us go. He creates clean hearts in us and renews the right spirit within us.
Too often, we sin. We fail. We are selfish, ignorant, arrogant, and indifferent to one another. But we do look up, depending on the Son, the only righteousness who died on the cross and rose from the dead in three days and ascended to heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. And we look up, depending on the Holy Spirit, who renews us in the whole man after the image of God and enables us more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. And when you find yourself under our Heavenly Father's discipline, you're going through that difficult time. Remember, the Lord disciplines those He loves. Proverbs 3, 12. You are a beloved one. You are. Please remember that you are a beloved son and daughter. That's why you are here as a body of Jesus Christ, the church. That's why we worship and praise the Lord together in this church. He bought with the blood of the Lamb. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In closing, behold the words of Ephesians, chapter 1, 11 through 12. This is God's word. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Only because of him, who delights in a broken spirit and broken heart, we are his disciples, the body parts of our Heavenly Father's church. Moreover, we are the praise of his glory. You are the praise of God's glory. That's who we are. That's who we are. So, do not give in to your sins. Fight. Fight your sins. Let's do what we ought to do. Love our God with all our, all our hearts, mind, and strength, and love and serve our neighbors as the praise of His glory. Let's do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and this church. Father, before you, we are hopeless and desperate sinners. In Christ, we cry for forgiveness. In Christ, we confess our sins. In Christ, we beg you for cleansing us with the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, 
Please enlighten our minds and renew our wills day by day so that we remember who we are in Christ and do what we ought to do to you and our neighbors in our daily lives as the body of your church and the praise of your glory. Bless this congregation so that whenever they face difficulties, they find joy, gladness, and comfort in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We worship you and praise you, love you, try in God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.